So again, welcome everyone. This is Richard Mao with the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. We are a nonprofit organization. We are completely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for elderly and adult disabled people who are in nursing homes and in assisted living. And we do our work in two ways. One, we do a lot of policy analysis, and based upon that policy analysis, we do systems advocacy in New York State and nationally. And then we also more and more are doing education of consumers and families, the long-term care ombudsman, other advocates, and other stakeholders, including uh, we do education for providers as well. I joined LTCCC in 2002, and I've been the executive director since 2005. So I've been uh, the executive director for about 12 years now. LTCCC is approximately 30 years old. I think we were started um, formally in 1989. So what are we going to be talking about today? What I want to do first is provide a background, a bit of a framework on how the nursing home system works. This is usually how we start out. So if you've been on the previous presentations, I'll make it fast, but I do want to make sure that everyone has a good background and a good framework for what we're talking about. And that is actually particularly important today and our focus on who is providing care for residents and the management of the facility. What we're going to be looking at today are requirements for staffing. Uh, are there requirements? Are there federal requirements? What do they involve? And then the management of the staff, because that, to my mind, when I was putting this together, really puts it together, is that you have staff and you need staff. The staff are really the backbone, of course, in providing care and making sure that residents are safe unable to live with dignity, but how is that staff provided? Who oversees them? That really comes down to the administration or the management of the facility. So the way the nursing home system works in a nutshell, almost every nursing home in the United States participates in Medicaid and or Medicare. And by participate, we mean that they take Medicare or Medicaid money for some of their residents. In order to participate in Medicaid or Medicare, a facility agrees to meet the standards provided for in the federal nursing home reform law. Now, states can have additional protections to the reform law, but no state can have any less protections. Importantly, these federal protections that we talk about are for every single resident in the facility, no matter who pays for his or her care, whether it's Medicare for short-term rehab, whether it's Medicaid, which pays for most long-term care or private pay, insurance, et cetera, these protections under Medicaid and Medicare go to every single person in the facility 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, the way this is implemented is that the federal agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, they contract with the states, um, usually the State Department of Health, to ensure that residents are protected, and that they receive the services that they need and that each and every resident deserves. So a little bit about the nursing home reform law. The federal law requires that every nursing home resident, again, is provided the care and the quality of life services that are sufficient to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, emotional, and social well-being. I know that that is a mouthful. Um, so highest practicable, what does that mean? That means that it is 
the highest level that that individual can attain in terms of their physical well-being, in terms of their emotional well-being, in terms of their social well-being, etc. Clinical is, of course, included in that. So that means, for instance, if you go into a nursing home and you can go to the bathroom, you use, use the toilet with some help, with some assistance getting there, the nursing home is responsible for providing that help and that assistance. They are not supposed to say, I'm sorry, um, we're just going to have to put you in a diaper. Or, I'm sorry, we're just going to have to put your dad in a diaper, um, even though he could go to the bathroom on his own with some help. And that's why, again, the staffing is so important, because that's what we hear about all, all, over and over again, is that people come to us and say, well, they said there's not enough staff. They said the staff isn't there. Nighttime, you know, the call bell, my call bell rings, and nobody answers it. So this is why those kind of complicated words of highest practicable, that really means something. It means that we are focused in our nursing home system on the resident as an individual and meeting his or her individual needs. Importantly, and so I'm going down to the fourth, third bullet here, excuse me, if you're looking at the frame, the law lays out specific resident rights from good care and monitoring of that resident and that resident's physical and uh, emotional and social condition to a quality of life that maximizes the resident choice, resident dignity, and resident autonomy. Now, the nursing reform law passed in 1987. So we're talking about, about a long time. It's actually it's, it's having its anniversary this year. Um, and then the, the regulatory standards came out in 1991. So it took about four years for the regulations to come out. And the regulations are, they implement the law. They explain what is expected in each part of the law. So what's happening now, and the reason why we're doing these programs is that for the first time since 1991, the federal regulatory system is being almost completely revised and updated. And this is going to affect every single aspect of care, of quality of life in the nursing home. So all the regulations are changing. All the guidelines for how those regulations are implemented are changing. So the guidelines are the way that the government explains to nursing homes explains to the surveyors or the inspectors, explains to us as residents and families and advocates, this is what we expect. This is what we expect to happen when we talk about a certain standard. All of those are changing. And then the FTAG system, which is the system used by nursing home inspectors, is changing. The reason why I mention all this, including the FTAG system, which is not something a lot of you may need to know in your daily work, your daily advocacy, your daily life as a resident or a family member or an ombudsman is that for 25 years, as I mentioned here, if you look at the third bullet, everyone, nursing homes, surveyors, ombudsmen, advocates, they knew what the rules were. They knew where to find them. All that's changing. So there's going to be a lot of flux over the next couple of years as these rules are implemented and as people come to understand you know, what's going on. So when I mentioned the FTAG, it used to be that a inspector would come in and, and they would say, you know what, um, you're not meeting a quality of life um, standard for nursing home residents. I'm going to cite you with F309. That FTAG doesn't exist anymore. So now they have to go and look it up. Now there's a lot of, you know, so, so there's a change in what they're doing 
And that, so it's going to be really important, excuse me, it's going to be really important for us to understand and be aware of and have access to what the standards are to try to get through this confusion and make sure that we're still able to access good quality care and good quality of life or fight for good quality care and good quality of life. So what does this mean in a nutshell again? We have, you know, hopefully stronger rules, better definitions, et cetera, and I hope that that will result in improved enforcement of those standards, improved understanding by all stakeholders, as we call them, all the nursing homes, the surveyors, et cetera, and the result will be, we hope, better resident care. So why is this information important? Again, it's important for us to know so that we can be prepared and know what our rights are as these changes are implemented and beyond. Because it's implemented, all these changes in the structure, in the numbers, et cetera, that's going to inevitably cause confusion. And so what I'm hoping to do with these programs is to help you, you know, give you some tools, give you some background information on what's changing, what's going on, and how we can use them to advocate you know, for our resident-centered advocacy for better care. And these are, you know, useful as well to, uh, I know we have at least one person from the providers on the phone, but we really want everyone to be aware of these are what resident rights are. Um, so we can have a happy resident like that lady who we just saw, happened to be my Aunt Hilda, who was in a nursing home uh, for several years. She lived to be over 100 years old. Uh, so how will this program help us or help you uh, in your knowledge and advocacy? New federal language. So what we're going to do in these programs is we're going to review together the new federal requirements so you can see exactly what nursing homes are being told they must do for their residents. Uh, and then what I'll do at the end is I'll summarize some of the important points. And today, actually, what I'm going to do is review the fact sheet that I put together. Every program we have, we put together a free, easy-to-use fact sheet. It's limited to two two pages, and you can print it out as a two-side, and it's just two pages. You are free to use them. Please, we welcome you to uh, go to our website, nursinghome411.org, or email us, Sarah, again, S-A-R-A, at ltccc.org, and we will be happy to send you the fact sheets, or you can print them out. You can use them any way that you like. Our goal is to get across these points as effectively as possible. And importantly, as we go forward, because these, these programs tend to be pretty content heavy, we talk about a lot of substance in the law and what that means. You don't have to worry about remember. My goal in this program, and I hope it's useful to, to you all, is to say that these are some of the things that are going on. This is what's happening so that you're aware, and then you can come back to our website in the future and you could, if you have an issue, if you're interested in something, you could download the fact sheet and you can get that information easily. And you could share that with anyone. If you're an ombudsman, you could share it in your nursing home. You could use it for a trainee. You could share it with your resident council and your family council. Again, if you're a family member, uh, we encourage you to do the same thing. If you're in a nursing home, if you're a staff person, you're welcome to use it, to use it in the same way as well. Excuse me. Uh, we really just want to get this information out and make people aware. And that's you know, particularly true today when we talk about staffing because staffing is so key. So lastly, before we get started on the staffing issue, I just wanted to mention that 
you know, more than ever with all these changes going on, it's crucial for us to be aware of what our rights are and what we have a right to expect from our nursing homes, both for ourselves and for our residents, uh, if we're an advocate or if we're a family member, et cetera. So I'm going to move on now to the standards that we're talking about today, and those standards relate to requirements for cash theft and requirements for administration or management of the facilities. So why, why are these important issues? The biggest complaint that I hear about from family members and from residents is far and away that there's not enough staff in their facilities. And we know from studies over the years, studies that we've conducted, studies that the federal government has conducted, that a large number of nursing homes, really the, the, the vast majority, don't have enough staff to meet all the needs of their residents. It's a frequent problem, unfortunately, that we see. It's not every nursing home, but it's unfortunately far too many nursing homes. So people ask, you know, are there staffing standards? When I go and I talk to family members or I talk to ombudsmen, they ask, you know, you know, what do we do? Is there is there a staffing requirement? Now, on the federal level, which is what we're talking about today, there are there's requirements for sufficient staffing, and we're going to talk about that in some detail. But in addition to that, I wanted to note that some states can have safe staffing ratios. They do have safe staffing ratios. It's now the majority of states, I think 35 states last I checked, have minimum staffing ratios for their residents. Our state, our home state, New York does not, but most states now do. Some states require 24 hours a day, seven days registered nurse in the facility. And then some states also have increased the federal requirements for certified nurse aid training. So certified, in order to be a certified nurse aid in a nursing home, under federal requirements, you need to have at least 75 hours of a training program. And our home state of New York, it's 100. In some states, it's even more than that. Some states have uh, upwards of 150 hours of a training requirement. So I want to talk a bit about some of the fundamental requirements for care step. As you'll see here on the side, it's kind of a, a lightning um, bolt on the right-hand side. Anything that you see in orange type in these slides means it's new regulatory language. And remember I said earlier that all the regulations are changing. So they, they move things around. They renumbered them. All these numbers are new that you see. But they also added and subtracted some language. So I wanted you to see in these programs that what, what has been added here, what is CMS, what is the federal government talking about when they talk about standards and how have they work to hopefully improve them so that we can improve care. And again, staffing is, is so critical and so essential for, for our residents that I thought it was really, really important to take a look at it here. So nursing services, here it says, and this is all the federal language, the facility must have sufficient nursing staff with the appropriate competencies and skill sets to provide nursing and related services to assure resident safety and attain or maintain the highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being of each resident as determined by resident assessments and individual plans of care and considering the number, acuity, and diagnoses of the facility's resident population. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull that apart. And again, please remember, you don't have to take notes. You don't have to memorize any of this. 
We have a fact sheet that is now available on our website. We'll be sending it out to the Amazon programs in New York State and to anyone else who has requested it um, that provides the information on this. So what, what this says is that they have to have sufficient staff, and the staff has to have the competency and the skills to provide care that ensures that every resident, again, that word from the expression, excuse me, from the nursing home reform law, that every resident can attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. That has to be determined, it continues, by the resident assessments and the individual plans of care. So we have fact sheets on that as well. So you can see what is supposed to be in a resident assessment. What is What has to be in the plan of care? How is the plan of care related to the individual, to the resident assessment, excuse me. So that to me, you know, when I, sometimes when I talk to people, I mention this is like, in my mind, a one-two puncher. You have a resident assessment that has to be comprehensive, has to go to everything that is going on with the resident, including what they need uh, emotionally and socially, what they uh, need culturally, what their background is, and, of course, importantly, what their clinical and medical needs are. So that's what the resident assessment has to be looking at. And then based upon that assessment of those resident needs, there is the plan of care. And then based upon what we see, the assessment and the plan of care is how the facility is supposed to be staffing its, the nursing home. So, again, you know, I understand that these are not always easy things to advocate on, but if we don't have any knowledge, how can we advocate? And if we don't advocate, how are we ever going to have change? So the whole point, again, is that not this is going to be easy, not that if you bring the fact sheet tomorrow to your nursing home administrator, they're going to hire 10 more people. The point is, is that now you have a basis, I hope, for supporting your advocacy, for saying, you know what, I need this level of care. I need to have someone here to assist me, and I have the right to have that kind of assistance. Lastly, I just wanted to mention, again, the last thing on this slide is that in addition, the facility has to consider the number, acuity, and diagnoses of their resident population. So when they, excuse me, when, when they determine the, the sufficient numbers of staff. So what we're seeing here is that the federal government is trying to get, crack that nut. How do you, how do we get facilities to have sufficient staff? How do we get facilities to make sure that they are, that their staff is sufficient and appropriately trained? Is that we're now expecting them to consider how many people do they have in the facility? What are those, what are their needs based upon their diagnoses and their acuity? And then provide the staffing uh, to meet those needs. That is really getting back to the federal requirements in the nursing home reform law. And again, please um, note any questions you have. You can type them in, or I'll open up the lines at the end because uh, I'm really interested in hearing your feedback. I, I know that these are tough challenges, but, again, if we are not aware of what our rights are, then it's impossible for us to make any headway. So hopefully what I wanted to hear is provide some support for that. So a little bit more about sufficient staffing. What does that mean? facility must provide, this is not my language, this is the federal language, 
the facility must provide services by sufficient numbers of each of the following types of personnel on a 24-hour basis to provide nursing care to all residents in accordance with their resident care plans. That includes, as it notes here, licensed nurses and other nursing personnel, including nurse aides. So you can see they, they called that a little bit here with the orange because they mentioned the nurse aides. But this, again, gets to 24 hours a day. Uh, I did note a couple of things here. There's some limited circumstances where there can be a waiver of a licensed nurse, nurse requirement in some settings, especially, you know, particularly, I should say, in some uh, rural settings. But it has to be approved by the state. Uh, so it's very, very, very specific and very, very, very limited. And then in addition, I want to note that many states, as I mentioned earlier, set requirements for a licensed nurse 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, or they have safe staffing ratios. And I included a link to the consumervoice.org where you can see the state staffing tables that they have there. So you can see whether if you're not in New York, uh, if you're in another state, you can see, or if you're in New York State, in a home state, you can see, of course, where, what those ratios are, what the standards are. And that's useful wherever you are because you can see what's going on. We really need across the board to, again, to improve staffing. I just want to mention here that while a state can have a staffing standard, whether it's two and a half hours of, of, of direct care staff time per resident per day or four hours of direct care staff time per resident per day, that is meeting state law, but that has nothing to do with meeting federal law. And I was actually um, watching a program yesterday from CMS, and they explicitly said that, is that nursing homes have to have sufficient staff to meet their residents' needs, again, based upon their, their assessment and their care plan, period. They have to have sufficient staff. Meeting a state requirement in and of itself does not mean that they're necessarily having sufficient staff. As I mentioned at the very beginning, states can have additional requirements, but those requirements cannot replace federal requirements. So this, this is really important, that this is the basis. This is, again, what every resident deserves and what we pay for and what nursing homes agreed to provide. I want to uh, mention here just a note on the posting of the direct care staff who are working in the nursing home. Since 2003, it's been a federal requirement that nursing homes post the staff on duty every single day for every shift. Unfortunately, in my experience, when I go into a nursing home, too often that information either is not clearly visible. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. A lot of times it's when I see a chart, it's not filled in or it's not filled in necessarily accurately. For instance, I will see a posting of direct care staff It'll be the posting for the entire week going forward. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that means essentially, as I see it, it means that a facility has put in what they think are going to be there, you know, people who, who they expect to show up or who they have um, who they've scheduled. It doesn't mean who's actually in the facility. So what CMS wanted to do here is they wanted to make sure that everyone could see very clearly what's the staffing going on in, in my facility. So here I put in orange again, new text, this is new parts of the guidelines and the regulations. The facility um, document 
of who of the posting, excuse me, it could be a form, it could be a spreadsheet. It must be must have all the required information. That information must be displayed clearly and in a visible place, and it must be up to date and current. The facility is required to list the total number of staff and the actual hours worked by the staff to meet this regulatory requirement, uh, to meet the posting requirement. The information should reflect staff absences on that shift due to call-outs and illness. So it's not enough to say, oh, we expected these people to come in, and then they didn't come in, they called out, it was Christmas, it was July 4th, et cetera. That's not the point. The point is, and the requirement is, is that the facility is listing exactly who is there. Staff must, staffing, excuse me, must include all nursing staff who are paid by the facility. That includes contract staff. It does not include staff that are paid from other sources. For instance, if there's hospice care staff there or, or if a family is providing a companion or assistant to a specific resident, that does not count. This is supposed to be who the facility is providing, paying for and providing, uh, excuse me, paying for to provide care for their residents on a day-to-day -day basis. And what, again, what is actually there. It's really, really important. So we've done some work around this in the past, again, because so many people, either they weren't seeing good information uh, or they weren't seeing any information at all. This hopefully will help to beef it up because people have a right to know who, who is there. And you could figure out based upon the, you know, if the data is accurate, if the information is accurate, how many care staff are there for the night shift, for the day shift, for the weekend shift, et cetera. And remember, as the regulation says, it has to be sufficient staff 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it really bugs me when I hear about, you know, when I go to visit a nursing home after Christmas and people complain there was no one there. This is not the first Christmas that the nursing home was in operation. So they should understand and they should anticipate that's their responsibility that certain people, you know, a certain number of people will call out, et cetera, because they want to spend time or they'll take vacation days, et cetera. It's the nursing home's responsibility to provide sufficient care and services 24 hours a day, seven days a week, period. So a little bit here about the federal guidance for registered nurses, RNs. The facility has to designate a registered nurse as a director of nursing on a full-time basis. That is the federal requirement. The reason why I wanted to mention this here is that it says, you see in the bold orange at the bottom of the slide, the roles and the responsibilities for any individual that's serving as a director of nursing must be, must be clearly defined, and all facility staff must understand how these responsibilities are shared among any individuals functioning as a director of nursing. Why did I include this here? Because too often we see a lack of accountability on the floor. That, you know, there's a different DON, there's a different RN, there, is, you know, different, there are different people on different floors or different people on different units. We want to see that there is, and we want you to know, that there is a clear lineage of responsibility in the nursing home. And the director of nursing is really at the top of, you know, in terms of nursing uh, oversight and in terms of nursing responsibility. So that's really important here that the federal guidelines spell that out.
Now, nurse aide competencies is our next slide, slide 16, if you're following along on your own. CNAs, certified nurse aides, provide about 90% of the care that residents receive. So they are critically, critically important. So here is, this is, as you can see in the italics, this all comes directly from the federal regulation. For the general rule, a facility must not use any individual in working in the facility as a nurse aide for more than four months on a full-time basis unless that individual is competent to provide nursing and nursing-related services and the individual has completed a training and competency evaluation program approved by the state or the individual has been deemed or determined competent, competent excuse me, based upon their long-term experience and other federal requirements. I didn't put it all here. What I wanted you to see is that there is a, as a general rule, as a foundation, if a facility has someone on their staff for more than four months, that person has to have completed a certified nurse aid training program and be certified. That's pretty much the basic takeaway here. And then, importantly, for non-permanent employees. Now, we hear more and more about facilities that are using temporary per diem staff, et cetera. Those staff have to have the same level of competency. It says right here, a facility must not use on a temporary per diem lease or any basis other than a permanent employee, any individual who does not meet those, those requirements. And then I included, because I thought this was important, a CMS statement on competency. So what does competency mean? Because, you know, ha again, how do we connect the federal requirements to what's going on, what nursing home residents and their families are experiencing? So what, what does competency mean? Competency means that the person has a measurable pattern of knowledge, skills, abilities, behaviors, and other characteristics necessary to perform work roles or occupational functions successfully. So again, we're seeing the connection here, I hope we're seeing the connection, between that the facility has to provide care, monitoring, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That care and monitoring has to meet the, the emotional, psychosocial, um, and physical, and of course, clinical needs of the resident to assure that he or she can maintain their highest practical well-being, and the competency relates, relates to that. Excuse me. So what I want to do, again, is connect the dots. I want to talk a little bit about training. I often hear from families that they'll say, well, um, you know, I, I, excuse me, I was providing a training for two nursing homes and the Alliance of Nursing Home uh, Family Councils in New York uh, over the past two years. And they would say to me you know, quite often, I don't know if anyone's on the call today, but they would you know, quite often say, well, does anyone in the nursing home hear about what you're saying? Do they know about these standards? So this was really important to me to include something about the performance review and training of nurse aides. So here you see, number one, there's a federal requirement that nurses have, nurse aides, excuse me, have regular in-service training. It must take place at least every 12 months, and it must comply with certain requirements, requirements in 42 CFR 483.95G. What is that? You don't have to memorize it. It's right here. The required in-service training for nurse aides. In-service training must 
must be sufficient to ensure the continuing competence of nurse aides. It must include dementia management training and resident abuse prevention training. That has to be every single year. That training has to take place for every single CNA. It must address areas of weakness as determined in a nurse aide's performance reviews and facility assessment. That's a, as of this coming November. So it must, in other words, the nursing home is now required to assess each nurse aide's performance and also assess itself with how the facility is performing. It must conduct a self-assessment. And the training has to address the needs that are determined for each resident. And then lastly, for nurse aides who are providing services to people with dementia or other cognitive impairments, it must address the care of the cognitively impaired resident. So here you see some really clear specifics as to what goes into that training. So we've talked about care staff. Now I'm going to, last thing I'm going to talk about is nursing home administration. This is, this is really where it comes together. You know, the staff don't hire themselves. The staff don't do their own, generally their own assignments of, of how many people are on the floor any given day. This comes ultimately from the administration. So here we see the first paragraph, it's in italics, meaning it's from directly from the federal language. A facility must be administered in a manner that enables it to use its resources effectively and efficiently to attain or maintain the highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being of each resident. That's why I know, you know as I said at the beginning and I say all the time, uh, it's a mouthful to say the highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. What does that mean? Again, it means that if I go in and I can walk you know, down the hallway, I shouldn't become bed-bound because the nursing home didn't provide services to help me walk, uh, you know, walk around the facility. Or I shouldn't become uh, incontinent because the nursing home didn't have enough staff to help me go to the bathroom in a timely manner. Those are just two examples. It means that in terms of psychosocial, it means I shouldn't become depressed because there are no activities that are appropriate for me. If I have dementia, it means I shouldn't be, um, you know, quote, unquote, acting out. I shouldn't be crying or, or slapping or scratching because I'm bored or I'm in pain or no one has bothered to find out what is going on with me. Is that when the facility took me in, the facility said, yes, I can care for you, that means that they can meet my needs um, to ensure that I can, again, attain and maintain my highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. So I wanted to just note here, according to the federal guidelines, in order for a facility to be cited for substandard administration, the surveyor's investigation must demonstrate how the administration knew or should have known of the deficient practice and how the lack of administration involvement contributed to the deficient practice found. So the reason why I included this here is because we we often hear about and see a disconnect. You know what I mean? That there are things going on on the floor, there's care, but no one at the administration level seems to know or, you know, sometimes someone will get fired, sometimes there'll be, a, you know, an issue on the floor. Quite often, it doesn't reach the administration, but in our view, 
as advocates, it's the administration that is really responsible. And in the government's view, because the administration is the key, they are ultimately responsible as well. So how does this relate? You know, if, if, the, if the surveyor, in order to cite a facility, in order to hold a facility accountable for its administration, um, what does this mean in terms of their investigation must demonstrate how the administration knew or should have known? Well, here are some things I put in an orange box at the bottom, and it's, in, it's also in our fact sheet. So how does this relate to resident care? Here are a few examples from the federal guidelines. The administrator must be notified of, quote, all alleged violations involving neglect, abuse, including injuries of unknown source and or misappropriation of resident property by anyone furnishing services on behalf of the provider. This, of course, includes any allegations of sexual abuse. So, again, if there is a violation that includes neglect, that includes abuse, that includes, you know, someone being injured and they don't know where the injury came from, a misappropriation of resident property, it is essentially assumed that the, re that the administrator has been put on notice and, therefore, the administrator is responsible. Um, Quote, the administrator is responsible for the overall implementation of the facility's policies and procedures. I included, as it feds here, one example, including the prohibition against involuntary seclusion. Any reasonable suspicion of a crime against a resident must be reported to the administrator. So, again, we have a right to have an expectation that the administrator knows and is doing something about these issues. And then the last example that I have is that, as appropriate, the administrator, nurse, nursing director, medical director, and pharmacist, and the Quality Assurance Committee should review the nursing home's dialysis care and services on an ongoing basis. Why do I include that? Because a lot of nursing homes provide dialysis and other special services, so I wanted you to see that there's a connection there. It's not just happening on the floor. Again, it connects to the administration. Administration is ultimately responsible for what is going on in the nursing home. I want to include a slide here at the end for, uh, this is actually from a training that CMS has for surveyors and for providers. So what is CMS telling surveyors about citing for insufficient staff? And this is a big issue, again, as I said at the very beginning, you know, so many family members, so many ums, and so many residents say, well, the staff's not there, the staff's not there. What are we supposed to do about it? What, what can we do about it? Well, here, uh, you know, we want to see that there is more accountability for having sufficient staff. So what CMS is now telling surveyors, now telling nursing homes that a, a facility can be, can be cited, excuse me, and the citation doesn't have to be based upon a directly related adverse outcome to residents' care or services. So if you're seeing insufficient staff, happening, if you're seeing that those services are not happening, doesn't mean that there has to be a outright physical harm, an evident physical harm, that there is a deficiency there. So essentially what I'm trying to do, what I wanted to do here, and this is not my slide, this is a slide directly from CMS, I just wanted you to see that they are really trying to plug in on improving accountability for staffing. And this has been a big issue for us as advocates because it's been a big issue for families and for residents and for the ombudsman with whom we work.
So I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, this is a copy of our fact sheet. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's now available on our website, nursinghome411.org. We are also going to be posting the recording of this program uh, by tomorrow on the website so you can watch it on our YouTube station and a PowerPoint is available. Uh, took a little bit about the fact sheet now, so what I included on the left-hand side is those basic requirements, the fundamental requirements for nursing home services in terms of both sufficient staff and appropriate competencies and skills, the extent to which a facility has to have sufficient staffing levels, they must provide these services on a 24-hour basis to meet the needs of residents in accordance with the resident care plans, and then the rules regarding nurse aid competency. Again, that the nurse aid has to be certified as being competent. That includes both permanent employees and non-permanent employees. Then on the right-hand side, you can see the second part of the page that includes some of the considerations. The top one is considerations for, for our advocacy in terms of staff competency and staff quantity. And then underneath that, you can see the requirement about nursing home administration and some considerations for resident-centered advocacy around the administration. So really important. What I wanted to give you, again, these are tough issues. It's really tough to get a nursing home to hire more staff. It's really tough to, um, uh, you know, to pinpoint sometimes exactly what's going on. But I hope that this provides some of the basic tools and some of the knowledge that you need to know, you know what, I have the right to go to the bathroom. Without, I have the right not to be put in a diaper for staff convenience. I have a right to receive good dementia care, to not be given an antipsychotic drug for staff convenience. Uh, it's not necessarily the staff's fault. That's why we include the administration here. It really goes to how the facility is being administered. And as I've said over and over, I know it's a mouthful, but every resident is entitled to the care and the services that he or she needs to attain and maintain his or her highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. So that, to me, is, it's, it's, I know it's a mouthful. I keep on saying that, uh, but it's really critical. You know, when, you, when you're sitting there or when you're with your, your family member or when you're an ombudsman and you're going into a nursing home, are people providing that care? That is what every nursing home promises when they participate in Medicare or Medicaid. And as I said at the very beginning in the background, they promise that for every single resident. And as I'll sometimes say, you know, who's, who is it okay not to provide those services for? Who is it okay? Whose mother would you want to see, you know, harmed, you know, getting pressure ulcers because there's not enough staff to monitor and turn her? Or whose father would you want to see you know, put in a diaper, be, you know, even though he could walk to the bathroom with help, but he's told, I'm sorry, you have to go in the diaper. Uh, we just don't have enough staff. Nobody would want that for themselves. Nobody would want that for their loved ones. And it's important for us to know that we have the right to receive the care that we need and that we pay for that care. So I'm going to open it up now to questions and comments. One second. So I've unmuted everybody. But it is cool. okay.
Sorry about that. So I heard a lot of background noise. What I'm going to do first is I'm going to go through to see if there's any questions that were typed in. And then if not, I will ask you please to just press star six to open up your line to ask any questions. Um, so here are some questions. I'm going to go through them right now. Um, okay. Um, okay, well, thank you. Someone said they appreciate having to put your father in a diaper as an example. And, and that, that person, Peg, thank you, mentioned the key challenge is toileting functional independence. And that's so important. I just want to take a moment to say, you know, we, we, we don't think much, I think, unfortunately, or, or we expect that too often that, oh, someone's going to be put into a diaper because there's just not enough staff. And I've seen, you know, really even strong advocates say, you know what, that's just kind of inevitable. But it doesn't have to be inevitable. And I try to be very careful. I've been a family member myself. I've been in these situations where you don't want to complain. Uh, you worried about your family member and their safety when you're not there. You see what the expectations are of other people. Um, you see how hard staff sometimes are working and that they're under the gun and you don't want to complain to them. But it's a, you know, again, if we don't know our rights and we're not aware of them, then we'll never be able to make any difference in making a change in this. So it is challenging. It can be some difficult things to think about uh, and difficult things to advocate for. Uh, I would ask, you know, if you have any comments, also please feel free to email me. My email address is richard at ltccc.org. Uh, we're really interested in your feedback. We're going to be doing more this year because uh, I do want to, you know, hear more from people and, you know, enable you, give us, give you more avenues to express what's going on so we can make the case better with policymakers that you know, these things need to be enforced. These things, we need to make the staffing happen for residents on a daily basis. So, yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, so I'm looking to see if there's anyone else. Oh, uh, when will outdated equipment be ID'd as one of the caregiving negatives that discourages both staff, residents, design, and functional independence goals? Uh, Peg, I'm not sure if you, if you are um, uh, still on. But if you wanted to ask that, please press star six. Uh, so I'm not sure I understand what, uh, what your question is. I apologize. For Hello? Uh, okay. I, um, maybe Peg has left the call. Uh, if there are any other questions or comments, again, uh, feel free to email us. You can email Sarah at S-A-R-A at L-T. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hello? Yes. Hi. This is something that relates to quality of life that I've been struggling with in my facility. Um, although it's fairly good facility in terms of basic care needs being taken care of, um, I've been advocating for certain residents to go out of doors. They've been requesting to be outside. And the facility does not provide that. They, they say that they don't have enough staff supervision, in particular with their dementia patients, even mild dementia where the person is ambulatory and still quite responsive. They, they do provide activities, 
but all of the activities are on the unit and there is no provision for people to be outdoors at any time, only with a private aide or a family member. Uh, is there anything that we can do to advocate for that? Uh, well, yes. I mean, I think, are you, if you don't mind me asking, are you an ombudsman or? Yeah, I'm an ombudsman. I also have worked at many facilities uh, over the years. I'm retired now. And this is something that takes place in quite a few facilities. They don't feel that they are required to at any time let people, you know, get out into the fresh air, uh, even on an irregular basis, even occasionally. And that, that has always seemed to me that that's a basic quality of life problem. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I completely agree. And uh, you know, as I, as I said a couple times, these these are really tough issues to to advocate on, and and so one of the things you know that that I wanted to mention in the program is that you know, in one of the slides I had from CMS, the, the slide they had for surveyors is that they are you know now going to be asking surveyors, requiring surveyors to look at you know to look at some of these issues like you know the quality of life, like it doesn't have to be that someone, um, you know, developed a pressure also, for instance, for there to be a staffing citation, that there could be a staffing citation for things like this, for quality of life. So I would, you know, urge the, you know, this to be recorded as a complaint in the ombudsman system. And I would also urge, um, you know, when there is a survey of the facility uh, to discuss that with the survey team as early as possible. Uh, if it's a, you know, if, if you feel it's appropriate, you could call in and, you know, make a complaint to DOH. Hopefully, uh, you know, I know that people get frustrated by that quite often because there's not a great response for many people with the Department of Health complaint line. Mm -hmm. But I would say that, you know, the complaints are tallied and the and complaining itself does make a difference. So that is one thing, you know, hopefully now DOH is, has better tools as a result of these new regulations, to be able to cite a facility for this. Uh, and I would say, you know, the other thing we have, I'm not sure if it's on our website yet, because we, we just have recently updated our website, but we have a, an, an older website called assisted, excuse me, assisted-living411.org. And on that, on that website, we have four guidebooks on improving, you know, um, basically improving quality of life for residents in assisted living. Why am I mentioning it now? Because uh, a lot of people over the years, including myself, have used those guidebooks for, um, for nursing. And there's actually a guide for direct care staff, and there's a guide for nursing home administration. And so you could, they're free. Uh, you can share that with the, you know, I would say with the administrative staff, but for instance, I remember that one example from that that was used in real life is, is, was kind of similar. It was that the assisted living um, facility, they had a resident who had dementia and the resident wanted to leave. She wanted to go outside and she was becoming agitated. And what the facility did was they arranged for her to go outside in a way that was safe and did not require a lot of facility time. So there are ways for facilities to do this that are, uh, you know, that, that are, are pretty manageable, but it's not a prison. 
fundamentally. You know what I mean? It, it's, Hi, it's Hi Richard? Yes. Hi, Charles. Hi, Hi Charles. Um, I just had something to add about the uh, the issue with the using outdoors, getting residents to uh, be able to take advantage of that. One thing that might possibly help, and I've seen it uh, help at times, is repeated inquiries from family members. If, if um, the uh, administration gets repeatedly uh, 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 requests from family members that this be done, uh, sometimes they will be more responsive. It would be a really good issue for the family council to take up, for example. If the family council could unite and present a whole list of people that are really asking for this, sometimes I've seen an administration will be more responsive and try to maybe set up hours where you could have a monitor in the patio or whatever the outdoor area is. Uh, it's not a guarantee of success by any means, but uh, it can give, give the family members a shot. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, thanks very much. So I hope those are some helpful suggestions. I want to mention, though, before I forget, uh, it's on the page that you can see now on your screen. Mueller? Mr. Muller, do you hear me? Yes. Can you hold on one second, please? I am okay. I'm making a statement. Thanks. So on the screen right now, uh, for long-term care ombudsman in New York State, if you would like us to let your supervisor know that you attended this training program, uh, many of the programs now are providing in-service credit to their volunteers through our program, please take the uh, – we have a very quick survey at SurveyMonkey. It's surveymonkey.com forward slash R forward slash L-T-C-C-C dash L-T-C-O-P-1. Uh, so it's right there on the um, website. You can also view it within the next week on our uh, website and then take the survey, and the survey is, you'll see on the website as well, basically surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash ltccc dash ltcop1. So I'm sorry, uh, someone was saying anything? So saying something? Uh, Mr. Mr. on the telephone, oh. can you just arrange to have the credit uh, another way? Because I'm, I'm not on my, I didn't uh, receive it through the computer today. Uh, so you can go to the website, and you could either um, open up the PowerPoint or uh, by tomorrow we'll have the, the, the recording of this program and you could okay. see it there. So, but it, it has to be through the survey. But the survey is like three questions. It's very quick. Okay. So, okay. Mr. Muller, please, can I make – Yes, please. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. Okay. My name is Diana. Everything you said is beautiful, but how do I – do we enforce that? When I say we, I mean family members, and I don't have only one issue. I have dozens of issues with the nursing home regarding my uncle. He's being neglected. Uh, he's being not abused physically, but neglected. He, They don't pay any attention to me. They don't pay any attention to him. They do whatever they want. And uh, I had to take him out, which caused my my blood, my sweat, my tears, because it's not easy to get a, I call nursing homes Roche motels. You can get in, but you can't get out. And <laughs> is that, is that it's funny? true. Yeah. So let it's me, true. Yes. And no. Anyway, how do I enforce all the issues that I have? Uh, he has dementia, and uh, they don't, 
they put him whatever they want to. I cannot transfer him. The administrator gives me the wrong around. I go, I know everything because I'm an accountant, I'm an auditor, and that's my job to do research. I do research of every kind you can imagine for seven okay, oh, years. Ma'am, yeah, ma let, let me just, because we're, 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 we're past our time, so I just want to make sure that I respond in some way. Uh, you know, as I mentioned throughout the program, it, these these are tough issues to advocate on, and so I I know, and, and as I said, I've been a family member myself. I know how challenging it is to get you know even fairly decent care in in, in some nursing homes. Um, my, One last thing, sir, may I say uh, about what you said about lack of staff. The, 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 the few staff they have, they are insulting, they are nasty, they are rude, they have a scream and yell at me, they have hung up the phone on me. When they answer the phone, because you call and call and call, and nobody ever answers the phone, and they tell me that they have no staff. And if you, just out of curiosity, if you are interested, go to Google um, uh, the plaza, uh, um, um, uh, uh, rehab and nursing home, and you will see there my the first review is mine. And if you scroll two or three down, you down you will see one by a, a a lady named Sabrina something that said that her grandmother yeah, was from that I'm sorry, George, but we really I, I want to just give you some pointers if I can, and then I want to take a couple of questions because we we run out of time. Okay, so, what can I do? And uh, what can this person do that her grandmother was punched in the face and they didn't even fire the nurse? Hello? A couple of things. Uh, hi. A couple of things. And I, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to please stop now. But because uh, I, I understand it's very upsetting and your, your questions and your concerns are extremely important. Don't get me wrong, but we have, you know, 50 to 100 people on the call. I just want to make sure that I am able to respond a bit. Now, at our organization, unfortunately, we are not able to handle individual complaints. We're extremely small, um, and so we just unfortunately don't have the capacity to do that. What I recommend to families are a couple things. One, as Charles mentioned before with the staffing issue, is that families and residents who, um, to paraphrase what Charles said, families and residents who make their voices heard within the facility, that can help. And I think it's valuable if you have a resident council, if you have a family council, that the nursing homes are now required to respond to the concerns that they raise. So that's one way in which to advocate. A second way in which to advocate is to go to the, um, excuse me, to go to the long-term care ombudsman. You have a volunteer. No, they don't pay. Excuse me. They get, they take the side of the nursing homes. I have well, Ma'am, ma 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 please. Okay. I have to be considerate of other people on the call. Okay, okay. Um, but I'm so, telling you that. Yes, ma'am, please, please. Okay. There, there are some ombudsmen are stronger than others, just like anyone else, and you know, in different settings. If you feel like you're not getting a good response from your ombudsman. Individually, you can call the ombudsman program in your state. You know, if it's New York, you can call the New York number, or you can call the your local ombudsman office, and hopefully they can help you. Uh, you can also file a complaint with the Department of Health, 
I filed two two complaints against two nursing homes, and they did nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Hello? Hello? Again, I know that these issues are frustrating, and they're not always easy to deal with. Uh, And as I said, I'm very aware of that both as an advocate and as a family member of several nursing home residents uh, over the years, including as recently as as last year. So I know that these are challenging. Uh, Let me tell you, you were my last. The tools that we have. Hello? Hello? Hi, I just had a quick statement. Hi. I'm answering a question right now. The tools that we have provided hopefully can be can support your advocacy as well. That's why I include the citation to the Code of Federal Regulations, the CFR, so you can see it's not just something that I'm making up, it's not just something that an advocate says. This is actually in the federal requirements. And you could cite that as appropriate and I would you know be careful about it, because uh, you don't want to just just throw laws in people's faces, but you know that you have a basis for exercising your rights with anything that we talk about, and you could use these materials to support that advocacy um, when you're talking to your ombudsman program, when you're talking to your administrator and staff, when you're talking to the Department of Health, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, some people may want to speak to a lawyer, either a legal aid you know, group that's local to them or to a private attorney. Those are other options as well. Uh, for advocating more effectively. Uh, I think there was one other question that I wanted to answer that was in the, that was written. Uh, okay, someone had said that their aunt is in a nursing home and is not getting any physical care. She no longer walks into a year ago and the facility states that she's reached her limit. Uh, now again, you know, it's tough to say without having the the individual and what they're, you know, in, in having their record in front of me, but depending upon their insurance, uh, they essentially do have a right. You know, every resident has a right, as I've said over and over again, to receive the care and the services that they need to attain and maintain, you know, th- their highest practicable well-being. So that's really important. And again, that's something that you can take with you to support your advocacy. There's also, and the reason why I kind of hesitated is that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of confusion, I should say nowadays, in terms of the rights to individuals to receive, uh, to, to, to receive therapy services. We have some really good information on our website, something we spoke about recently in our programs. Again, if you go to nursinghome411.org, you can see those resources, and I would recommend also the Center for Medicare Advocacy. It's medicareadvocacy.org. They have done a lot of legal work to ensure that people can get access to the therapy services that they need. So it's a little bit beyond the scope of what we could talk about here, but I just wanted to pass on some of that information. Hi, Richard. Richard? Yes, Charles. Hi, Sean. I just, if I could just add to uh, your, um, what you said. I would also, if this is concerning specifically skilled services, physical therapy, and so forth, would just like to direct 
the questioner to an article on the Alliance of New York Family Council's website that goes uh, in-depth into this question. The website is www.anyfc. That's A-N-Y-F-C. It's for Alliance New York Family Councils, .org. If you then click on the articles link at the side menu, there's an article that, when does physical therapy have to end? And if you go to that article, it'll go in depth, much more detail than we would have time to address right now uh, about how that uh, issue plays out because it can get very complicated. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Charles. I just want to thank everyone who has joined us and remind you that our next program is August 15th at 1 p.m. We're going to talk more about requirements for, for staff and for care, in particular requirements for seeing a doctor, requirements for dental care, and requirements for rehab services, some of which we were just talking about um, you know, with the last question. So thank you all very much. Again, I apologize. We do not have the capacity to help with individual problems. We are a very small nonprofit organization, but um, please contact your Amazon program, uh, and we have resources on the website, nursinghome411.org, that I hope can be helpful, and I hope this program was helpful. So, again, thank you all very much, and we look forward to speaking with you next month. Bye-bye now.